0: Welcome back to another uh, Alignment Discussion podcast, broadcast, meeting of conscious creators. Um, my name is Astra Gray. I'll be your host for the next 30 to 45 minutes. We're going to just do a concise, short podcast today in keeping with the tradition um, that was inaugurated about a little over a year ago. I started to really take uh, my spiritual blessings. Uh, um, I really started to really fully appreciate the spiritual blessings that have been that have been bestowed to me, and what that looks like is, um, for years and years and years and years and years, I struggled immensely with attachment addiction, which is so eloquently. Um, talked about within the pages of this book that we're putting together and um really genuine uh, a genuine desire to show up and be a presence in my my kids life i just didn't want to abandon them i didn't want to emotionally abandon them abandon them physically abandon them i didn't want to miss out. My spirit was calling upon me to not um, miss out on the opportunity to be their father. And that was a real turning point for me because up until that point in my life, I had always, and I mean always burned every intimate relationship I had with another human being to the ground. I never, I would always kill rather than being killed. I don't know exactly what the cause of that is, but for a long time, you know, um, when I would sense an end approaching and when I would sense a need to be vulnerable or dig down deep and become real and authentic in a way that I was not familiar nor accustomed to doing, I would literally just emotionally serial kill these people i would emotionally punch them on the jaw i would bail i would disappear i would you know dissociate right in front of them oftentimes like you know escaping back into active addiction you know i would dissociate first and then i would get back on active addiction and start to manifest the really undesirable ugly character uh, of unconsciousness that no one could love and then i could basically alienate them, push them away and somehow feel like a victim about the whole thing. And I did that a lot. And by the time by the time my children were born, I had done a number on myself and like with my brain with the neuro pathways in my brain with that the automatic thought patterns within my brain with the millions of little thought impressions that were stored within my receptive mind which some of you might refer to as the unconscious mind or the subconscious mind Um, you know there was like the psychic residue of remembrance of all these people that I'd alienated and pushed away And I was very much, um, that was very much a part of my identity. It was something that um, I was very aware of, very fearful of, and didn't want to recreate with my children. And out of that desire, I started gaining first conscious awareness, which is a new kind of awareness that's different than self-awareness. And this is all just my interpretation. Um, Every person who reads the Conscious Creator book and has their own experience with that material is going to have their own perspective on it. And just because I'm someone who's heavily invested and heavily um, committed to helping to create the content. I'm also aware that this content is coming through me. It's not from me. It's not, I'm not the source of it. I'm just a hand that's helping it. I'm just a vehicle through which it is being transmitted. And I know that sounds kind of new agey and hokey pokey, but anyone who knows me, who spends time with me and interacts with me and then sees what's in this book, you're going to go, oh, okay, something's up here there's no way these two things match up not that i'm like some hokey dokey whatever person i'm a very adequate instrument obviously creative forces have tapped me on the shoulder and said look dude like this is your thing like you know this is an opportunity for you it's an opportunity for you to develop personally and also to expand your consciousness your spiritual consciousness But importantly, more importantly than that, it's an opportunity for you to dig yourself out of this fucking hole that you've created. Because all of those crappy habit patterns that you've imprisoned yourself in, you've basically tied a material noose around your neck, and you're killing yourself with these habit patterns. And you've completely limited access to your authentic higher self. You have limited access to spiritual consciousness spiritual consciousness of love and truth, to God consciousness, to that spiritual consciousness of being within you, and also within others. And so, first and foremost, it was a way to liberate me from these thought these thought patterns, these habit patterns, and these self-defeating beliefs, and this, this, this really impossible narrative that I was stringing along about life, and me, and my place in it, and how crazy life is or you know everyone's got their story everyone's got their story that they're stringing along in their their own mind and mine was pretty bad and it was and it was it was starting to get its claws into my kids it was starting to be like oh well if I have these it always sets it up. it always sets things up for possibilities so if I'm going to be these the uh, father to these kids well then All my creative aspirations are going to die right then on the the spot. And I'm going to be relegated to working a bunch of dead-end jobs to support these kids. Or I can abandon these kids and then go do these creative projects. And I had enough wherewithal and enough of what I was saying earlier, conscious awareness to understand that this was all a game I was playing on myself. And that I really, honestly, was just trying to control a situation that was totally and completely beyond my capacity to control you cannot control identical twin girls babies being born into your life you just got to either lean into it or brace up against it you either got to figure out a way to receive that gift and allow that gift to expand every fiber of your being and and transform you or you got to just, you know, pull the ejection handle and, 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 and bail, <clears throat> which, you know, ironically, you know, a little over a decade prior to that, I was presented with the same opportunity from another uh, from a, a dear friend of mine. She got pregnant with identical twin girls as well. And you know, I recall kind of throwing my hair, my hands up in God, you know, about halfway through the pregnancy, and saying, "I, I tap out, God, I can't do this. I'm not going to show up for this. I can't do it. I just want to get high and disappear. I, 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 I can't, cannot let go of control, and I cannot receive this gift. I cannot receive this gift that you're trying to bestow upon me." <clears throat> and that ensued like another, you know, um, you know. Another long stretch of you know self hatred, self deprecation, in and out of recovery, really doing a job on myself. And um so I had that as a point of reference, right? I had that as a point of reference, and I knew how that felt when I rejected that opportunity and I turned away from it and I went back on drugs. I remembered that feeling of emptiness. I I remembered that feeling of spiritual scarcity that I had. I was very much not whole or joyous. I was very much incomplete and in pain and, and in emotional pain and feeling very emotionally, spiritually abandoned. I felt abandoned by that fundamental essence within me that I choose to call the consciousness of my being, my spiritual being within. And it wasn't that it had abandoned me. It's that I had reacted and turned away from it, as I always do. And in that, that's the that's the abandonment. That's the abandonment that I was always fearing in my relationships with others. That was the abandonment that was always compelling me to, you know, kill rather than be killed. You know, to uh, bail before I was bailed upon. So... And those are all, you know, instinct, instinctual games that we play upon each other, Um, especially when we're not living in spiritual alignment. We're kind of relegated to these instinctually reactive, fearful or angry animals that are trying to dominate or avoid domination or, you know, any of those kind of games. And so an earnest desire to show up and love these children, uh... You know, that that earnest desire to to love my daughters is where where this process came from. No doubt about it. Hands down, no doubt about it. And so it's a very God-given process. And it has enabled me to intervene upon my patterns of active attachment addiction, which is what it's called in the book. You know, first, it helped me to intervene upon the external mechanisms of my attachment addiction, which would have been the porn, the meth, um, you know, um, isolation, you know, the rituals of self-soothing or or dissociation that I engaged in centered around meth and porn. And it was uh, absolutely killing me and so it intervened uh i intervened upon those patterns by checking myself into a treatment center i didn't do a full treatment center but i did do a you know a seven day detox just to intervene upon those habit patterns and it's very important to put out those obvious fires before you start addressing the more insidious internal mechanisms of attachment addiction so i threw myself into cry help detox in north hollywood and you know I, was, I you know i was able to detox from methamphetamines and i was able to because i had already been doing the practice for a while before i relapsed and this will happen with a lot of you so you'll be doing the practice for a while and i was really like here's the thing i wasn't doing all i was doing was the practice i was hitting the practice kind of like it was a meth pipe and so instead of like doing the practice as prescribed, I mean, in hindsight, I can, I can relate all this, instead of uh, doing the practice as prescribed, and then moving out into my life and feeling my experiences and starting to have the courage and the wisdom to make the changes I needed to make in order to continue to personally grow and evolve my spiritual consciousness. I, you know, I started hitting that really hard. I figured, okay, well, if like a half hour is good, two hours is better, and it became a compulsion and it became a compulsion, a physical compulsion, and it became something like of, of a crutch. Now, all of those practices were helpful and it did. I mean, absolutely, that was a magical time of my life, but I moved and all of the thought impressions that I implanted into my unconscious or my receptive mind, they're still there. They that All those practices that I did during that time leading up to my relapse, absolutely helped to increase my vibrational frequency and to liberate my authentic self from what we call in the way of the conscious creator the trauma my trauma avatar but at the end ultimately what was going on was i was i was um all i was doing was the mantras it would be like the equivalent of someone in aa only going to meetings and not doing the program not making the amends not making the life changes that they need to make in order to, <clears throat> like, there were some other things I needed to do then that I was in denial about. Like, I needed to get a job. I needed to get a job where I was moving my body, and I needed to get it, get a job where I was interacting with people, because it was in the middle of the pandemic, and I wasn't getting either of those needs met. I also needed to figure out a way to have a different living situation going on because I was, me and my roommate at the time were completely triggering each other all the time and fighting. And it was that was diminishing my vibrational frequency and it was bringing me into fear and the need for control. And all those things, if I live in that persistent state of fear and anxiety or anger and the need to control other people or my environment, it's just a matter of time. That's a time bomb that's slowly ticking away. And it doesn't matter how many mantras I do eventually they're gonna it's gonna be um you know i'm I'm gonna reach out for my mechanism of choice and i'm going to reactivate my attachment addiction and that's precisely what happened and so and once that attachment addiction gets its hooks into you i mean once i've done meth three or four times and watched 10 hours of porn that's it that you know my mind is off to the races i am very much in the throes of my attachment addiction to the external mechanisms. So, and once I'm on the, you know, I'm, once I'm just uh, reattached to all these external mechanisms, <clears throat> my inner attachment to like self-defeating ideas and narratives and beliefs, well, it, that's all safe now. Because all and now all my mental energy is just redirected towards getting more meth or watching porn or finding inappropriate sex partners i'm in that thing i'm in that obsessive compulsive loop so now all the shitty beliefs about myself and the fearful thought patterns and the the painfully tragic narrative that i was maintaining within my mind that's uh safe now it's off limits i can't do any work on that and so what was happening with all the mantras I was doing so much mantras. I was moving too fast. And what it did is it triggered my trauma avatar. It said, fuck you, dude. Like you're, you're starting to piss me off. You're traumatizing. Like you're making me fearful for my own existence. So I'm going to pull the rug out from underneath both of us right now. And you're going to go get high because fuck you. I want to survive. And that's the deal. And that's the the interesting thing about this process. Is that mantras are prescribed in a specific um, fashion to avoid this triggering situation, to avoid our trauma avatar being triggered and becoming active and taking, um, you know, taking drastic measures to insanely protect itself and me from threats. Now, what do these threats look like? Well, the sheer nature of these tra- these um, these mantras that we, we say to ourselves, these me- meditative mantras, they're all threatening to the core identity of our trauma avatar. If my trauma avatar believes that he's incapable, unworthy, or unlovable, well, then that's going to have an impact on the that, – that it's going to need to protect any kind of outside suggestions it's going to protect itself from any suggestion that flies in the face of what it knows to be true and so all of these mantras challenge those beliefs that's what their job is intended to do they're designed to challenge those beliefs but you do them as prescribed so they gradually challenge those beliefs they gradually change your thought patterns they gradually change the nature of the impressions and the vibration within your unconscious and your conscious mind. So this happens gradually. So the trauma avatar never just gets triggered and has to go into like Bruce Lee mode and just like fuck everything up and blow it all up. So, and that's the lesson I learned from that. Now I do them as prescribed. And so, and little by little, what happens is is the, the unconscious identity that supported instinctual fear and, uh, And instinctual fear has begun to dissolve, and this new identity is rising out of the ashes. That's one that's aligned with my spiritual nature. That's a joyous and whole one that is, you know, very much whole, whole and joyous, and one that is in alignment with my spiritual nature. Now I'm aware of the fact that I'm a spiritual being having this human experience, and what a gift it is. Before, when I didn't, when I didn't have that spiritual insight when I wasn't living in spiritual alignment I was just this human being who was reacting to everything and trying to survive of course I'm gonna use drugs I don't even know what my purpose is here on earth and so yeah so that's pretty interesting so today I have a little reading about this and I just wanted to go through it with you real quick we got a few minutes before this meeting because we're always at a little bit of a time crunch because this is such a uh, you know it's a busy clubhouse that we're in i'm super grateful for any opportunities that i have um let me see here um give me a sec for some reason Oh yeah, here we go. So I just wanted to read this section today cuz it really kind of hits on what was what was going on what, you know, what I was sharing with you previously. So let me switch the tapes real quick too cuz I have a tendency to forget to do that. Okay. So becoming invested. Think about a relationship or business that you put so much time and energy into trying to make work. As you invested more energy and effort, your expectation became greater. Did your investment bring with it a need for a specific outcome? Now consider the different kinds of abusive relationships human beings participate in. Some people are obsessed with controlling their partner. Addicts are obsessed with trying to control their use of drugs. Some maintain dysfunctional relationships with people. While others maintain dysfunctional relationships with addictive mechanisms, we all maintain some degree of dysfunction with our own thinking and pay the price with mental, emotional, and physical disease. Our dysfunctional thinking can kill us. Surrendering our investment in dysfunctional thinking begins by considering new possibilities. And so, this is that crossroads that I was at. This is that crux where I was at, where I was like, you know, addicted and, um, you know, uh, I had alienated my kids and my baby mama wasn't letting me in their wives. And I was living in the basement of the house that I've been living in, basically just squatting in the basement as a homeless person, smoking meth and freaking my roommate out. And, um, you know, and so I just made the decision. I made the call. I, I, I asked to go to rehab and I went, went into this rehab called Socorro, which is in East Los Angeles. And um, I got real quiet. I started doing a lot of meditation and a lot of work and just earnestly started seeking. And I was just praying, praying for tools, praying for insights, praying for something that could help me not avoid these kind of situations again so I could be a specific, like I could be a consistent presence for my daughters. Um, I thought that was really, really important. And so, okay, th- this is kind of where this began. So my true liberation began as I dared to consider new possibilities. I began this phase of the process when I was 45 years old. That's literally when this phase of the process was transmitted to me. Uh, and that was in this rehab called Socorro after I had relapsed and alienated myself from the kids and their mom. Thankfully, the girls were like four. and It was only like a four or five-month relapse. It was a hard year. Let's put it that way. It was a hard year. I went into treatment for six months, and the kids' mom, Kelly, just struggled immensely with uh, Luca, and they did the best they could. to You know, they did a great job. Without them, I would have lost my kids. And I got out of rehab, and I struggled staying sober, and I kept relapsing and going back and forth. And, um, and then I just went back into Socorro. Like, I guess it was – about a year i I got 10 months so i got 10 months when i got out of um treatment and then i relapsed again and uh, the second relapse is when i checked into socorro and i just really prayed earnestly and so that's what this this part of the book is is speaking to my true liberation began as i dared to consider new possibilities i began this phase of the process when i was 45 years old and i began it i'm just paraphrasing in socorro drug treatment with about 20 days What I had suspected to be depression or the onset of mental illness was my mind becoming certain of its own ideas. I had grown, and without me knowing, I had grown rigid and cynical. I had become resentful at an ugly truth that had insidiously infiltrated my mind. Now, this truth was not a natural law or inescapable fate. Oh, no. This so-called truth resulted from my own predictions based on four decades of dysfunction. Dysfunctional thinking. So this wasn't even the truth. It was the truth that was nesting itself within my mind. It was my idea of things. It was my personal narrative. It was the way that I was looking at the world, and it was totally, it was like it was like plaque on the lens of my perspective, and it just tainted everything. I was looking at everything through the lens of this particular truth, and it was not cool. And I thought I was, I thought I was becoming mentally ill. I thought that I. Um, you know was depressed i thought i was bipolar i thought all these things but really it was just my mind being completely driven by its lower nature without any access to its spiritual nature and so there was no objectivity it didn't have any balance it was completely off balance and so over the years i had created disappointment after disappointment i had sabotaged many opportunities I had convinced myself that there was nothing in store for me but more heartache and letdown. There were no new possibilities on the horizon. My own mind had become a a cynical tyrant of intolerance. What I had only suspected at one time to be the truth had grown into an outright certainty. I now knew that I was capable of certain things and incapable of other things. These self-imposed limitations applied to the world as well. I attributed meaning to people, places, and things. Now there's no way for a new experience to come to such a person who lives in such absolute certainties. And this here this herein describes the deadly progression of unconscious creation. Because as these thought patterns become more automatic and more ingrained, as I become more certain of my idea of things, as this truth that's only true in my mind becomes my truth and it limits my access to spiritual truth, I become a closed system. And in that closed system, all sorts of things start to break down. And that is unconscious creation. It's a deadly and progressive disease sure it may seem that drug addiction is a deadly and progressive disease because we start out smoking weed and next thing you know we're shooting meth or heroin a few years later that's absolutely true but that the part that's the real progressive disease is this thinking this self-defeating thinking this like mindset of the self-defeatist this these undermining habit patterns of thought and action that keep us in fear and limit our access to our spiritual birthright okay So, new life-affirming possibilities. We begin to cultivate a curious and receptive mind by considering the new possibilities that we would like to actively create. These patterns of new possibility will come to override existing patterns of impossibility. Here is our proposed list of new possibilities, and it's also, and it gives you the and it, get, and it also shows the existing pattern that it gradually will replace. So we have established habit patterns that undermine our purpose, and our purpose is to live in alignment with our spiritual nature, and so we can, you know, fulfill our need for inner wholeness and joy. So we can't be whole and joyous and live in alignment with our spiritual nature if we're encumbered by and constrained by these established habit patterns that keep us fearful and reactive and needing control. So the first, the first one on the list is the list that, you know, is the new habit pattern that we're introducing, the new possibility that we're introducing to our mind. And the next one is the, the, the established pattern that it's overriding. So number one is a pattern of gratitude and humility, and that overrides a pattern of being ungrateful and entitled. Okay, Now, and the second pattern is expanding one's capacity to give and receive love. And this overrides withholding and rejecting love. Rejecting love. A lot of addicts just don't know how to receive love. I couldn't receive my children's love. I couldn't receive love from so many partners that tried to love me, and I confused them and hurt them. I couldn't receive the love. I had to control everything. I needed to withhold love and reject their love. And that was very confusing and hurtful for people. The third one is cultivating kindness and compassion. And this overrides being judgmental and arrogant. The next one is being realistic, having realistic expectations, both of myself and others. And this overrides having unrealistic expectations of myself and others. And when I have unrealistic expectations, those are always resentments in the making. So any unexpressed or unrealistic expectation that I have is a resentment that's just waiting to happen. So, and there, I have no one to blame. There's no one I should be resentful at, except myself for lacking the tools of communication that are necessary to, like, express my expectation. And then I'm also lacking the spiritual insight to to ensure that this expectation I have, expressed or unexpressed is something that's realistic it's something that this other person or government entity or organization is capable of doing because sometimes people just have these unrealistic expectations this grandiose thinking and they're not even willing to compromise or meet our shared reality halfway and so you know that 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 mantra specifically speaks to that now number five becoming an effective communicator and this overrides being passive aggressive or misunderstood. And I spent a lot of my life being passive aggressive and misunderstood because I didn't have the ability to clearly articulate and communicate my thoughts, my ideas, thoughts, and desires. So, and now I do. Now, number six, personally responsible for myself and also my commitments. This overrides being overly reliant on others or acting like a victim. I played the victim for a long time. I was overly reliant on other people. And um, this this inhibited me to be personally responsible for myself and I couldn't show up for my commitments. I would make commitments to people, but I couldn't follow through with them because I didn't know how to be responsible because accepting personal responsibility is like accepting love. And if I couldn't receive and accept love, I also couldn't receive or accept responsibility because in receiving those responsibilities, I'm expanding my capacity to love. And I never knew that. I never made that connection before. All right, gaining a sense of self-worth from inner wholeness and joy. That's very different than uh, seeking external validation from others, which is how I lived a large portion of my life. You like me? Cool, I'm okay. Oh, you don't like me? I'm not okay. And now it's like I gain that sense of self-worth from inner wholeness and joy. What a gift. Number eight, honor and evolve my authentic understanding of truth. So my truth right now is what it is. But my job is to honor that truth, express it as best I can, and then to evolve it, not be static with it, not be station- stationary with it, not consider it the truth. This is my understanding of truth that I have right now, and it's my duty as a spiritual being having a human experience to constantly update that truth and evolve that truth and share that truth and expand that truth because what I know is very little. I only know what I know, and I know what I don't know, but I don't even know what I don't know. There's so much that I don't even know I don't know. And so, you know, that's the, that's the thing. So we constantly want to be evolving our understanding and connection to authentic truth. Number nine, regulating our emotions through human and spiritual connection, as opposed to regulating those very same emotions by attaching to addictive mechanisms. That the observable addictive mechanisms of attachment addiction, meth, porn, whatever, codependence, perfectionism, regulating our emotions by dissociating and going into like some kind of weird hypnotic trance with drugs and alcohol, or just with, you know there's so many different ways that we do it but that's not that's not emotional well-being that's just us managing and controlling our emotions that's us coping with our emotions we don't want to cope with our emotions we want to cultivate and sustain emotional well-being okay and that requires us to have a spiritual connection to our authentic spiritual nature all right 10 creating secure and healthy connections This overrides a pattern of creating insecure and unhealthy attachments, whether those attachments be to drugs and alcohol or to people. Number 11, taking the necessary indicated action while staying out of the results. And this is very different than allowing fear to keep one in inaction. So no one told me that you're probably going to be fearful when you take actions and you just got to learn to take the action as best you can. And if that means breaking down that action into like smaller micro processes, smaller steps, then that's what it, that's what needs to happen. But for the longest time, I kept waiting for this fear to dissipate. And I didn't have any awareness that, oh, the fear might always be there. It's on me to take the action anyway. And part of what paralyzed me into not taking the action was this need to figure out what the the outcome was going to be. Like if I did this, what was going to happen if I didn't do this what was going to happen and it paralyzed me and it made me freeze and in that state of freeze where no action was taken it's like that t-shirt it's like you'll miss 100% of the shots you don't take and if you're sitting there frozen in inaction there's nothing that's going to happen uh you're just going to be frozen in inaction if you stay there too long guaranteed you're going to do drugs and alcohol because that's the only way when when unless I move myself through it by doing the mantras that's what I would always reach to if i got stagnant And there was no progression in my life, and I couldn't see myself evolving towards a more desired aim or state of being. And if I was stuck there long enough, I would panic, and I would have a reaction, and I would get anxiety, and I would freeze, and I would use drugs to push myself out of that. And I would blow everything up to create movement, and that's traumatic. And then I would have more trauma to work through later. All right. Practicing patience with self and others. This overrides being impatient with self and others. Taking consistent action in support of healthy dreams and desires. This overrides neglecting healthy dreams and desires while engaging in these obsessive compulsive behaviors. Okay? Like healthy dreams and desires. Healthy desires. Healthy God-given desires. Desire is very God-given, but they get... um, Desire gets perverted into these obsessive compulsive needs for control and validation and whatnot. But we're talking about consistently taking action to support our healthy dreams and desires rather than neglecting them as we use all of our creative bandwidth, you know, in these rituals of self soothing with active attachment addiction. All right, 14, appreciating contributions and sacrifices of others. Now, this is uh, overriding taking those contributions and sacrifices for granted. 15. Responding to experiences with sincerity and vulnerability. This overrides reacting to those very same experiences with either anger or fear. A fearful or angry reaction is a very different person than someone who is responding with sincerity and vulnerability. So that's a that's very, very important uh, habit pattern right there. Appreciating kindness and generosity rather than taking kindness and generosity for granted. <clears throat> Recognizing and acting upon spiritual insights overrides reacting to fearful projections of our own mind. So being able to recognize spiritual truth in the moment and act upon those spiritual truths as opposed to just reacting to whatever our mind is projecting on our reality. So I'm at the farmer's market one day. <clears throat> and a friend, com- friend comes up and she would usually come behind the booth and help me sell goat cheese for a while. On this day, she kind of barely acknowledged me and walked by. And so immediately I started projecting that she doesn't like me. What did I do? Why isn't she doing the thing that I'm usually accustomed to her doing? Projecting all these fearful scenarios on that moment. And I recognized that. And I said, oh boy, I am projecting all over this and I'm creating a force field around myself that I'm sure when she comes back around, she'll bump into And then walk away, which is something I did a lot in my life. I would, you know, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And now I'm hunkered down and I'm reactive and like I'm in that thing. And she would surely sense that vibrational frequency. She would bump up against it and then she would be repelled by it. Instead, I changed it up and I was able to alter it by really hyper-focusing on selling the goat cheese. And I brought myself out of that like vibration I was in. And that kind of lifted the forest field around the Death Star, so to speak. And it wasn't long before she kind of wandered in behind the booth, and that was all in my head. I was projecting that reality into my shared reality. I was projecting that, you know, fearful, you know, scenario into my that I was going to be rejected or someone didn't like me into my shared reality. And my shared reality was going to uh, uh, respond accordingly by validating that. And so instead I was able to mentally redirect, sell goat cheese, engage in conversations, love people through the act of like sampling goat cheese to my customers. And before you knew it, my friend was beyond my booth kicking it with me. All right. Number 18, open and receptive to new, life-affirming possibilities. And this overrides being closed-minded and dismissive of other possibilities or other viewpoints or perspectives. Embracing opportunities for growth, personal growth, and spiritual expansion. This overrides rejecting opportunities for growth and expansion because I can't control them. 20. Living in abundance while I bring creative projects to completion. So like right now, I'm living in spiritual abundance as I bring creative projects to completion. I'm already killing it. I don't need like this thing to happen over here and then all of a sudden, now then I'll make it. Right now, I'm just like struggling through this thing, and there's this deadline, and I got to get this thing done. And only after this thing's done, will I have a sense of like, like a sense of self. Will I be able to validate myself and say that I'm worthwhile? And then make, maybe make a bunch of money, and then I'll be okay. What I'm saying is, is like when you do this practice, you live in spiritual abundance, whether you have a dollar in the bank or a million dollars in the bank. It's um, these, these mantras are self correcting, as Ken pointed out the other day. So they'll bring you up when your vibration's down, and they'll also bring you down out of the clouds when you're starting to get too grandi- get grandiose and too ego centered. So they keep you right in the middle, they keep you right in the green zone, they keep you balanced, and they keep you aligned with your spiritual nature, <clears throat> and they keep you attuned to spiritual insights so that you can be an adequate instrument through which life force can express itself through the evolutionary process of mankind can you know be demonstrated through us because it it needs instruments it needs soldiers it needs um you know spiritual consciousness our eternal evolution happens through people miracles happen through people miracles may come from God but they travel through us. We are miracle workers. We are the bringers of our own evolution uh, evolutionary dynasty, uh, destiny. And so we need to be in tune with that and we need to um as long as we're tuned with, in tune with that and we're living in alignment with our spiritual nature, we're living in spiritual abundance. And that's a different person with a different perspective who's bringing those creative works to completion. Those creative works are also going to be spiritually abundant, and they're going to continue to help humanity expand their capacity to give and receive love. They're going to help commit humanity to really personally develop and evolve their spiritual consciousness as well. But when you're living in scarcity, and just like, I got to get this done because I got to get mine. That's a different thing that you're releasing into the, uh, the universe. And finally, consciously creating new life-affirming experiences. This overrides a lifetime of unconsciously recreating familiar yet self-defeating experiences. Finally, let's finish with this. The principles of the self-defeatist. There is always a set of principles influencing our behavior. Some principles cause us to be fearful, while others cause us to be loving. We are born with the capacity to develop nearly any pattern of thought, feeling, or behavior. Anyone can become an artist or a criminal, a lover or a fighter, a Republican or a Democrat. We create patterns of thought and action that come to define our identity. Through repeatedly thinking and doing the same sort of things, we begin to view ourselves in a specific way. Thus, we begin to cast judgments upon ourselves. Every time that we judge ourselves, we define our identity a little bit more. When we decide that we are a particular way, we are also cutting ourselves off from other ways of being. What if Asher remained passive-aggressive and authentic? addicted, insecure, angry, reactive, cynical, intolerant, fearful, unappreciative, closed-minded, dismissive, isolated, unwilling, and disconnected. What sort of life-affirming possibilities could he expect to create? Surely, living by these principles would only yield more of the same. Based upon these guiding principles, his purpose would be to hurt and confuse people and to squander creative opportunities. This is the purpose that he would have continued to support. In contrast, this list of new possibilities helps Asher and you begin to live in spiritual abundance. And I think that's good for today. Yeah, so we'll go through some of those mantras in the next one. But today I just wanted to share that with you. I was I was moved to share that particular part of the book with you. And, um, yeah, I hope you guys can make it down to a podcast meeting soon. Um, have a great, have a great day today and thank you for tuning in.